So today, of course, Christmas topic, the Antichrist, right? <laughs> can't, I can't do all my messages on Christmas, amen? And I wanted to get through Daniel here, and actually this topic of the Antichrist is pretty important uh, when you look at Daniel. In fact, it's really the focal point of uh, Daniel chapter 7 and 8 and 9, uh, really where the Antichrist is the focus, uh, revealing that truth to uh, to the people of Israel. And uh, so today what I want to do is I want to look at the character and covenant of a little horn. Uh, and so we're going to look at that today. I got, I got one more that I want to preach on the Antichrist. And that's the career of the Antichrist. And that'll probably come next week. And I'm explaining to you the timing of how things will happen with, with the Antichrist in the end times. And look at that. I'll give you some charts and stuff. And we'll also look at the four horsemen, the, not the four horsemen, the four horses uh, the, the, in Revelation. And I think that ties directly to the rise of the Antichrist. And I'll show you how that works. And uh, ultimately the final uh, horse there is the, the pale horse, the, uh, the death. The rider on that is death. And, um, and so we're going to look at that. We'll look a little bit of that particular horse today as well. And so the Antichrist little horn, letter A, uh, little horn in the vision of the four beasts. And so let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started here. Amen. We're going to need the Lord's help if we're going to talk about the Antichrist. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this time that we could be here tonight. I do pray your blessing upon this message, Lord. I want to uh, sufficiently cover this topic, Lord, so we know uh, what you want us to know about this character that's going to come in the future. And Lord, perhaps maybe is, in, is already, uh, Lord, uh, working uh, in this uh, generation that we're living in. Uh, we're not quite sure, Lord, but we do know he will come. I thank you, Lord, that we have a real hope in Christ and that we're not pointed to wrath, but we're appointed, appointed to salvation. And Lord, I just pray you just help us to understand, Lord, some things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to do is look at these three passages, look at First Daniel chapter 7, some characteristics that we see within the little horn there. Daniel chapter 8 will be next, and then we'll go to Daniel chapter 9. So I'm going to hit all three of those chapters today and just pull out the characteristics and also the covenant that is going to happen during the 70th week as well. We'll look at that. And so the little horn, number one, will rise out of the ten horns of the fourth beast. And now this is redundant already. You know this. We've probably touched on this every week, but it will be in your head. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Daniel 7 verse 8, it says, I considered the horns and behold, there came up another uh, among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 7 it says then I would know the truth of the fourth beast which was diverse from all the others exceeding dreadful whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass which devoured break in pieces stamped the residue with his feet and <clears throat> of the ten horns that were in his head and of the other which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And so we know that dreadful beast is the Roman Empire. We saw that rise up there, uh, actually pre-Christ. And of course, that has been that empire has been kind of existing all this time. It's just kind of lying dormant right now, but it will be revived 
in the final day in the end time. Number two, he will pluck up three kingdoms when rising to power. We looked at that. Number three, he has eyes. He has eyes. That's, I'm not going to show you a picture of my little horn with eyes today. You got too much uh, fun out of that one last time. Uh, he will monitor globally the activities of people. He'll, he'll monitor globally. Now we're seeing more and more how easily this can happen. Uh, we know that our phones, uh, I don't know about you, um, but um, your, your phones, I don't know if you ever checked it out with Google and online where the microphone can pick you up talking and you really don't have to give a permission. And I just went through that this week again and just kind of went over all the different things that I can do on my phone to make sure that <laughs> nobody's listening to me, amen. And uh, you know, that, it's amazing what those devices are doing and the doors that open up to government that want to abuse that particular technology. And we know that they do do that. And so uh, you're wondering how the Antichrist can know what's going on, how we can have eyes all over the world. Technology uh, very easily shows us that especially with the cameras everywhere and different things like that that can be tapped into on a network. Uh, number four, he has a mouth that will speak very great things. That means he will be a great orator, convincing mankind of his plan. <clears throat> we know throughout scripture, we've, we've seen that false teachers can deceive people by the way they talk. And that's why you always got to be careful. Don't be too caught up in the way people talk. Be caught up in what they're actually saying and measure that according to scripture. And I'm surprised sometimes how even Christians get sucked into conversations and people, uh, communication with people, when those people are not being scriptural with what they're doing. Just think of how someone with a great power to convince people will be able to manipulate. And so be very careful, but the Antichrist will have that kind of power. In Daniel 7 verse 20, it says, And a mouth that spake very great things. In Revelation 13 verse 5, it says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Number five, he was, his look was more stout than his fellows. Uh, he will have a strong political presence. That means he will look like he's more in control. He will look stronger he will look more resolute when you compare him to other, and you do this. <clears throat> Sometimes when you see a, a whole bunch of politicians, you can tell who stands out. And this Antichrist will stand out over all the rest of the politicians of the world and all the other kings. And uh, in Revelation 13, verse 4, it says this, And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, Satan worshipers. And they worship the beast, saying... Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So these people that will actually turn to worshiping Satan because of the Antichrist will be completely sold out and subverted over to the Antichrist and supporting him. And they're totally convinced nobody's going to be able to take this guy out. You know, they're just totally convinced about that. And so that, that's a pretty crazy society that that'll be, amen? Uh, you can see little pieces of that today, but folks, we haven't seen this yet, especially with such blatant uh, uh, Satan worship and so forth that's going to happen. Number six, he will speak defiantly against the Lord. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, 
and he shall speak great words against the Most High. When you're talking about Antichrist, the word anti can actually mean instead of or against. So it's instead of Christ or against Christ. And so that's what anti means. And so we know the scripture uses that word, that there's already the spirit of Antichrist in the world. And so that he will speak against the Most High. Revelation 13, verse 6, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And so, wow, you know, uh, politicians today, uh, they don't operate in the truth. You can tell that, uh, you know, they're trying to euthanize people. I was just watching a little bit of our Canadian Parliament this week, and uh, people within the veteran affairs were trying to convince veterans that had mental problems because of what they've gone through to to uh, take part of assisted suicide. And so the conservatives are saying, like, how many people is, is your government telling to kill themselves here? And, of course, um, Trudeau would respond by, oh, no, we are against that, and we'll find out who's, you know, folks. I mean, he is pushing euthanasia in our country like it's never been pushed before. Uh, people are now allowed to... Uh, euthanized for simply having a mental issue, simple, simply not having access to health care or whatever, and they feel hopeless. And so what a terrible society that we live in today. And yet they're still trying to duck around the issue that, oh, somehow, you know, I'm not the one responsible. I think the Antichrist will just basically say it, <laughs> you know, and they'll talk about the dragon, they'll talk about Satan, and anybody that is with God, they'll say, we're going to kill you. You know, it'll be very open in that day. Uh, today, it's still kind of hidden. It's still not politically um, expedient <laughs> for them to become that bold. Uh, number seven, he will make war with the saints and prevail against them. He will turn against God's people and will destroy many of them. And so in Daniel 7, verse 21, I beheld on the same horn, made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change the times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. That's three and a half years. Revelation 11, verse 7, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. That's talking about the two witnesses. In Revelation 13, verse 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And the power and power was given unto him all, over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And so he's going to have a lot of power and he will make war with the people of God. And it will seem like he's winning, but of course he won't ultimately win. Uh, number eight, he will change times and laws to fulfill his plan, having dictated. Dictate, dictatorial power. Um, and you see that verse number 25, it says, And to think the chain, to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and a dividing of time. So he'll be a dictator that will change whatever he wants to change. Even those things that were set in stone and considered rights and freedoms. Now, does that ring a bell? <laughs> you know, See, right now we're living in a time where these things are being tested, you see. 
But it's not like this time, because at this time, he will have the power to change those kind of things. Now you can see that the politicians are still struggling with getting it as far as they want to go, uh, getting securing the power that they really would like to have, changing the constitution, changing the laws, changing the times, and so forth. That's something that they would like to do, but I don't think they can. <laughs> and I don't think they will until the church is gone. Because I think that we, uh, indwelt by the Spirit of God in our prayer, is holding back the tide of evil, where even the government itself cannot do what it would want to do, and that's why we are still important. You may not look at it as, a, as we are important, but we are. <laughs> we're very important. And once we're out of here, you're going to see how important we really were in holding back this tide of evil in this day and age. And so Revelation 13, verse 16, it says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so we see that being toyed with today. In fact, many of us couldn't go into a store in the last couple of years if you didn't have a mask or maybe not vaccinated or whatever their desire was. That This is all just testing ground for this ultimate uh, world empire and this antichrist that's going to come on the scene and change the laws and change the times. And so it's, it's quite an interesting thing to behold the time in which we live right now. That's not the world I grew up in as a child. Uh, the, I had a very free world. <laughs> you look back at the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, you say, wow, you know, it, it was a free land. And, but now it is really different than it used to be. It really is. And so children growing up in this age, they don't truly really understand the kind of freedom that we used to have. You know, we wouldn't even think about things like this. But it just seems that growing with the technology, the internet, uh, the connecting of people, that's what Babel was, right? Everybody connecting together. And when you start connecting together and you all try to get the same mind on things and try to think the same way, that's what's happening today. We all got to fall into somebody's philosophy and we know that the devil is the one that controls this world and so he's going to use somebody that has his philosophy to bring all the minds together to. And so the internet's not going to bring us all to Christ. Amen. <laughs> It's not going to happen. But the internet will bring us all towards a worldly mindset if we give ourselves to it. Now, we can use the internet, but you know what I'm talking about. It's just giving yourself to whatever the internet is, is saying or social media or whatever. Got to be very careful that we're not training our minds today with what's going on on that social media. All those videos and all those memes and all this, that, or the other. It's all teaching us something. Amen. Be careful what you're allowing to teach your mind and your heart. Number nine, he will have world domination for three and one half years. We already looked at that. I'm going to move on. Number 10, his reign will end with the coming of Christ. That will be sure. Amen. Daniel 7, verse 13. And I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and, kingdom, and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. 
Verse 21 and 22, it says, I beheld the same horn, made war with the saints, and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So it looks like we're losing in this world that we live in, but the Bible says it may look like we're losing, but ultimately we are going to possess the coming kingdom. Amen. We're going to be involved with that, and we'll be judges in that kingdom as well. Uh, verse 26, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. Letter B, we're going to look at uh, Daniel 8, Little horn in the vision of the ram and the he-goat. Number one, the little horn will come forth from one of the four horns of the he-goat, and that's Greece. We looked at that last week. Uh, it's those four um, uh, ancestral or uh, ethnical uh, divisions within the kingdom. It's not talking about political power here. It's talking about uh, geographical location. These four divisions were actually geographical locations that were divided to the four generals. And the Bible says that he will come out of one of those four divisions. And uh, we looked at last week the people that shall come, uh, people of the prince that shall come, those people were actually Syrian. They were actually from the east. They were actually Middle Eastern. Amen. And so that would be one of the uh, thoughts that perhaps the Antichrist will come from that division of, the, of those four divisions. Uh, number two, he'll become great and will dominate nations. And we see that in Daniel chapter 8, and verse number 9. It says, And out of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. And number three, he will have a fierce countenance. Fierce means a strong, so his face will appear strong. You ever see somebody with a strong face? <laughs> Sometimes me and my kids, we, we play around, and I'll go up to them, and I'll put on this mean face, and I'll go, I said, Dad, you're scaring me. I says, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess I look like I have a mean face, unless they're just kidding. Are you guys kidding or what? <laughs> they're trying to make me feel tough or something. But, you know, um, the Antichrist is going to have a fierce face. I mean, it's going to set you back when you look at it. You, can say, you never meet somebody and say, I don't want to tangle with that guy. That's how it's going to feel like looking at the Antichrist. And so, number four, <clears throat> he will promote himself to equality with God and persecute God's people. And... Uh, so it says in verse number 10 of chapter 8, It waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there coming a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. And so that day, we're talking about the tribulation. We're talking about Daniel's 70th week. So what we know by this passage is, before that week actually starts, the Antichrist will come to Revelation. He'll be revealed. Which means that the rapture is going to happen before the 70th week. In fact, we'll look at this next week, looking at the career of the Antichrist, how the rapture will probably happen some two or so years before the 70th week actually begins. Because the rapture doesn't trigger the 70th week. There's nothing in the scripture that says that. Uh, the rapture doesn't do that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. <clears throat> but here it says, 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that is what the Antichrist is going to do. Number five, he will cause the sacrifices to cease after three and one half years from the beginning of the 70th week. And so he'll give them those three and a half years of sacrifices. We'll look at that in a little bit as well. Uh, Daniel 8, 11, Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Uh, Daniel 9, 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for a week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Number six, he will be satanically empowered. Satanically empowered. Daniel 8, verse 24, it says, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And so he's going to have a power that is not human. It's not just what a man can do. This is beyond him. There's a satanic influence involved here with the Antichrist. Revelation 13, verse 13, it says, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And so in the midst of the week, there's what the scriptures are saying that the Antichrist somehow either perceived or maybe did, died and rose up. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, he had a wound by the sword and yet he lived. And so this is going to convince people that he is God. And that's when he's going to set himself up <clears throat> as a God in the temple. Because he's going to say, see, I, ro I rose up because he is the counterfeit. The Antichrist is a counterfeit Christ. Amen. And so he's going to either fake it or he's going to somehow make it look like it, whatever it may be. But he had, it says that he died by the sword and he was raised up. And now all these signs and wonders took place <clears throat> to convince the people. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Amen. So that's pretty powerful. Number seven, he will create deceptive policies to receive worship. So he's a deceiver. That's what the devil is. He's a deceiver. In Daniel 8, 25, it says, And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So the word craft means a sense of deceiving or fraud or false or feigned or guile or subtlety or treachery. And so through him, because of uh, his policy, he's going to cause his deceit to prosper in his hand. He's going to make it work for him. And uh, of course, that's politics. <laughs> but this is beyond politics. This has a supernatural end to it as well, uh, where they're going to believe him. And we'll see that in Revelation 13, verse 11. 
It says, I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. This is the false prophet. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had, po- had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as should worship, the image of the beast should be killed, or not worship, it should be killed. In Second Thessalonians 2 verse 9, which is really another chapter that deals very much with the Antichrist, it says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The Lord gave us signs and wonders, but the Antichrist is going to give us signs and lying wonders. (laughs) That means it's not going to be true. It's not going to be like the Lord's wonders. It's not going to be what the Lord would do. They're going to be deceitful. It's going to be lying. Number eight, he will be prideful and arrogant. It says here how that he... uh, that he shall magnify himself in his heart. We know that Lucifer lifted up himself in his heart. He was cast down, not because he said anything or did anything, but God saw what was in the heart of Lucifer, how that his heart was lifted up, and that was enough to bring the judgment of God upon him. And we know that with the Antichrist, same thing. He'll magnify himself in his heart. This is where it happens first. Amen. Before we do it before people, it happens in here first. And so magnify means to twist. It means to, to be large. Uh, various senses as in body, mind, estate, or honor. Also in pride. To advance, to boast, to bring up, to exceed, to become excellent. All these things are going to be twisted where he's going to make himself look all these things to himself first and then try to convince everybody else that this is how great I am. <laughs> you know, what a terrible thing. That's obviously not scriptural. Amen? Uh, we know that, I don't know if I have it here, but in Philippians, I don't know if I put it here. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, that means even Jesus Christ. That's why I get a kick out of these, these imams and these uh, Islamic leaders that think they got one on Christ because they say, you show me the Bible where Jesus claims to be God. Well, if he'd be running around claiming to be God, then I'd question whether he was. <laughs> Amen? Because Jesus himself told us in Scripture that it, you can't believe a person's testimony without two or three witnesses. And so what he did is he stood back with his own testimony and let the other witnesses speak for him throughout his earthly ministry. <laughs> he never once just said, hey, I'm God. Hey, don't mess with me, <laughs> you know. But we know that he is God. And we know that throughout the scripture, he is pointed to as God. And of course, through the New Testament epistles as well. But they're saying, I want to know in his earthly ministry where it came out of his mouth that I am God. And they don't understand Christ. So they understand the Antichrist 
because they think that if Jesus Christ were here, that he'd be telling everybody, look, I'm God. No, that's what the Antichrist would do. <laughs> but Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Amen? Number nine, he will come into power promising peace and will destroy through peace. And the Bible says there, and by peace shall destroy many. Be careful. I understand. I want peace. <laughs> I don't like wars. I don't like fighting. I don't like confrontation. Any of those things. But can I, can I tell you something? As long as we live in this wicked and sinful world, there's going to be wars. As long as we have sin in the church, there's going to be confrontation. It will never just be, oh, well, if this would be a good church, there'd, there'd be no... <laughs> I'm sorry. If this is a good church, it's going to be like any other church that wants to be good and will have to confront sin. You understand that? And, and see, by peace, they destroy many. And we live in a day and age where the churches have adopted this mentality. Where, hey, we're not going to deal with it. Hey, whatever people do, who are we to judge? You know? And you know what? The church is being destroyed. Because of sin. And so we can't do that. We can't do that in our nations. Can imagine if we'd have a leader. Oh, just whatever you want to do. <laughs> you know? Uh, well, basically we do have leaders like that today. Oh, no, we won't put them in jail. Just... You know, just try to be better, you know. Let's, let's just be nice to people. <laughs> no, our world's going downhill real fast. By peace, many are destroyed. Amen? There's got to be wars. That's how people defend themselves. That's how we, we protect ourselves. We, there has to be confrontation. There has to be wars. There has to be things like that. Until sin is gone, that's just a fact of life. You guys get what I'm saying there? The Antichrist, and throughout the Old Testament, you just read it, throughout the Old Testament, the, the false prophets say, oh no, peace, peace, peace. And you know what? They'd get to the real prophets, and the real prophets would say, no, you're going to be destroyed. If you don't kill these people, you're going to be destroyed. Oh, they always got bad things to say. These guys are always saying the bad things. They don't have an easy message. Well, I remember the one prophet, Micah, he was approached, and then he says, so what do you think? And the king already knew what he was going to say. So Micah says, oh yeah, go ahead, you'll win. Then he looks at the other king. See, he's mocking me. <laughs> he knew. He knew that Micah didn't, didn't mean what he just said. He knew that Micah was going to tell him now that if you go up, you're going to die. <laughs> Amen. But they want to hear an easy message. So Micah says, I'll tell you what you want to hear. But then when you tell them what they want to hear, then they realize, you're not telling me the truth, are you? <laughs> you know? So you can't win or you can't, you know, in both situations as a, someone is trying to do right. And so the scriptures are constantly admonishing us to be ready, to be awake, to watch. But the Antichrist will lull mankind to sleep like Delilah did Samson. Just put your head down on my lap. Just, it's going to be okay. Peace, peace, peace. While she's concocting a plan to steal away his strength. Amen? And he fell for it. <laughs> In fact, Delilah is a picture of the Antichrist. It's exactly what's going to happen. 
He's going to lull mankind to sleep by saying, peace, peace, peace. Everybody's just going to think, everything's okay. We got a man that's going to take care of everything. <laughs> Folks, Jesus is not like that. Jesus, when he comes, the Bible says that he'll have a vesture dipped in blood. That's different. <laughs> but he's right. <laughs> the Antichrist is wrong. Amen. And Samson should have never allowed himself to be lulled to sleep by Delilah. He should have kicked her out a long time ago, but he didn't. Number 10, he'll be broken without hand. Christ will consume him with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. You see that in verse 25. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken without hand. Like he thinks he's going to take on Jesus. And 2 Thessalonians 2.8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Wow, that's power. Just his light, just the light in him itself will destroy that wickedness. Uh, number two, or three, whatever, no, number two. Antichrist, the prince that shall come, and we're going to go through this quickly. Letter A, the confirmation of the covenant. So I want to look at this a little bit here. We're talking about the covenant. Uh, and I'm going to read this in Daniel 9, verse 26. It says, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be a, with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate until, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So the key to Daniel's prophecies is to understand that he's revealing the Antichrist that will come to power and then rule during the 70th week of Daniel. So the Lord wants us to know this. In fact, lots of detail is given to us in these last three chapters about this Antichrist. So the Lord wants us to understand it. And I think perhaps, probably because the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world right from the beginning. And so all these leaders will take on characteristics like this. In fact, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, any dictator that killed its people that, you know, tried to, you know, force people to do things and so forth, had the attributes of the Antichrist. And each one, I believe, the devil was trying to use to bring that one to the forefront that he could receive worship through that person by God's creation. But of course, it's never happened. Every time, you, folks, you ever saw the, you know, some of the things that happened in the Second World War, where Hitler tried to take over the world, you know where it finally hit the brick wall? When it met a nation that prayed. Then Hitler couldn't take it. <laughs> Whenever there was a nation that gave itself to prayer, that's where they'd, they'd start losing the battles. <laughs> you see. see. That's why, like, if there would be no praying, there'd be no God, there'd be no churches being working out in that in those countries, Hitler would have taken over the world. And he could have been the Antichrist, right? But he couldn't make it. <laughs> because of the church, because of the people, because of the prayer. And the Bible says that we're, first of all, 
Prayer should be given for kings and those in authority. It says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Our prayers for our government is changing the whole country and the atmosphere of our country. We have to understand that's why God wrote that there in 1 Timothy. He says, your prayers are making a difference. It's not just, let's just pray and hope something happens. No, when we're praying tonight, we are, even though you may not feel it, maybe you say, oh, what's really happening? God is hearing. Things are happening. We have to keep praying for our leaders. We have to keep praying for our mayors. We have to keep praying for all these people because it makes a difference in how we can go forward. Look at this uh, as far as our building is concerned. We've been praying for that. We've had churches all over the country praying for this. And you know what? I could just see the Lord is just opening the doors and no man can shut it. But if God wasn't here, if we weren't here, what would these governments do? I know they wouldn't give much thought to churches. It would all be about this, you know, money and power. But you know, every now and then, moral people have to stand up and they have to say some things in front of the leaders and they have to say some things that remind them of the real truth and value of what we're involved with here. Amen? It's interesting, as I was preparing for this, I had it all written out on a page that night when I was going to talk to the city council, but when I finally got up there, <laughs> the Lord wouldn't let me read my page, and I just began to talk. Because one of the big things was the $4,200 that were going to be lost in taxes if they would approve this. And so what I, sa- what I told them is, I says, you know what? We need to understand there's different ways to look at value. <laughs> and that $4,200, I says, this is what I guarantee you. That $4,200 in some way is going to come back to you if we will have that place and, have, and raise up a lighthouse in this city. It's all about how you look at it by faith. <laughs> it's all about value. What is most valuable? <laughs> the $4,200 now? Or is there something greater that we can do to invest to have a greater impact in our city that's worth more than $4,200? Amen. Now, I'm sure half of them say, yeah, right, you know, he's a preacher. <laughs> no. But I believe it with all my heart. I really do. But our government leaders need to be reminded. See, that's our place in this society. We have to do this. We have to say things. We have to tell them that it's not just about money. And by the way, we need to live like it's not just about money. Amen. That's the first place to start before we start talking about it. <laughs> you know. So anyways, let's move on. The confirmation of the covenant. So it talks about here how that uh, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So number one, he will confirm a counterfeit covenant. So he will confirm the covenant. And so I thought that was interesting, the covenant. Well, what is the covenant as far as the people of Israel are concerned? It's not just a covenant, but he's actually confirming the covenant Well, we know that he is trying to take the place of God. So all these Old Testament covenants, he's claiming them. (laughs) He's saying, hey, I can bring these to come to pass. You got to understand something in the scripture. There's only one way that the covenants will come to pass, and that is through faith in the Messiah. (laughs) They're not going to get their land until they trust Christ. (laughs) They're not going to get anything they've been promised until they trust Christ. 
They're not going to get their, their king on their throne, on David's throne, until they trust Christ. All those covenants come through the seed of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen? So here's the Antichrist saying, hey, I'm going to confirm this covenant with you. Oh, great. What are they doing? They're placing the Antichrist in place of the Messiah. He'll bring it to pass. Or at least what they did is they signed off of it for seven years. They said, well, within seven years, he's going to bring this all to pass. Wow. They were pretty messed up. To confirm, the word they used here is the word gabar, and it's different than when the Lord confirms a covenant. That's a different word, which is kum. The word kum means to arise or stand up. So the Lord, what he does is he brings a covenant to stand up. But with this one, he said, the Antichrist is confirmed the covenant. That means he prevails. So it's different. It's almost like he's got to convince them to believe what he says. He needs to prevail to make them sign that document and give him the power that he's looking for. Jesus Christ doesn't need that. When he made a covenant, he will just make that covenant to stand up. The Antichrist has to prevail to make it happen. So he needs to deceive the people. He needs to convince them that somehow I'm going to make this come to pass. And guess what? He did convince the children of Israel. Letter A, Israel will be unbelieving until Jesus Christ returns. Now they may get to their land. 1948, they got, you know, they got uh, constituted as a nation again. Uh, somewhat, <laughs> not quite. They don't have their boundaries. They got uh, other people living within their boundaries. Uh, you know, they're still scattered throughout the world. There's great populations of Jews all over the world. You know, Brighton Beach, New York, huge population. We had a missionary that went straight to Brighton Beach and ministered to the Jews there. We got people ministering to the Jews in Toronto and in, in Winnipeg and all over the place. They're scattered throughout the earth. They're not going to be brought back. And they're not going to get what God has promised them until Jesus Christ returns. That's all there's to it. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ returns, that he will harvest them from the four corners of the earth. That means all these communities within these cities, they're also going to be gone. These Jews will be brought back to Israel. The ones that are left, anyways, because the Antichrist is going to kill two-thirds of them. Only one-third will remain. And so Romans 11, verse 26, it says, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's the problem, sin. <laughs> if they don't receive Christ, there's no dealing with sin. So they need their sin dealt with, just like we need our sin dealt with. So the majority of Israel be ungodly and not following scripture when the Antichrist comes. They are looking for what they think is religious, but they do not care what the Lord wants because they've already rejected what the Lord wants. That's the Messiah. They've already turned him away. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. So basically there's really nothing they can do until they receive that one that they've rejected. That's where it comes down to. Letter B, Israel will be living 
in a deception that the Lord's house is established. This is very interesting. In Isaiah chapter 2, it almost sounds like they're actually living in the millennial kingdom, but it's not. Notice this. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, said, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, so what are they doing? They're just going and saying. (laughs) This is just what the people are saying. Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the uh, God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth a law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is what they are saying. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore, thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself. Therefore forgive them not. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. And the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the Lord of the, the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, upon every fenced wall, and upon the ships of Tarshish and upon all pleasant pictures and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So what we have here is the children of Israel living in a time where they say, hey, let's just, all of our swords, let's beat them into plows and so forth we're living in a land of peace and let's go to the house of god and he's going to tell us what we need to know but then the lord just says guess what my day hasn't come yet in fact the day comes after they are saying this now if this was what was if that was really true and that was really what was happening then the day of the lord would have happened before they said it but the day of the lord happened after The children of Israel are going to be so deceived, they're going to think they're living in the millennial reign. We got our temple, we got our Messiah, let's go learn from our our Messiah. And the Lord just says, you're proud and lifted up. And when I come, I'm going to bring you down. Wow! That's the mindset of Israel at this time. (laughs) Number two, the confirmation of the covenant not the rapture, will initiate the 70th week. (laughs) 
you know, if you've ever seen the timelines, rapture happens, 70 week begins, <laughs> you know, and so the, the, the line on the map is, is kind of the same line as the beginning of the 70th week. Well, that's just not reality. That's not what takes place. Because we know that the rapture takes place, and because of that, the tide is now being allowed to rise. You know, anytime someone takes power, it takes time to come to power. But you know, the Bible tells us that when... Uh, I'll read it to you. It says here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 6, And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And so basically there's a restraining force that's keeping back the Antichrist from rising. And the time's going to come where that restraining force, he will be taken out of the way. Now, that's not the removal of the Holy Spirit off the earth. It just means that he's going to stop restraining that tide of evil. And I believe it's going to happen at the rapture, when the church is gone and the prayers are gone. Our prayers are affecting things. (laughs) That we may live a quiet and peaceable life. Imagine all the prayers in one day stop on earth. Right now, can you imagine how many prayers are happening today? In fact, in the, in the book of Revelation, it talks about how the Lord is pouring out the vials. What are those vials? The prayers of the saints. So all the prayers that have gone up, it's like he's collecting them in vials. And he says at the end day, he's going to pour them out upon the wicked because of their prayer against the evil of this world. That's amazing. Your prayers make a difference. Amen. So I believe when it says that he, it's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but it's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church and through the prayers of God's people. And I believe once the church is raptured out, that's when the rise of the Antichrist begins. And then the 70th week begins when he gets to the point where he can convince the Jews of a covenant that he is going to hold for them for seven years. That's not going to happen a day after the rapture. <laughs> and we'll see that in Daniel chapter 8. The vision of the evening and the morning talks about 2,300 days. And that's where Gabriel says in the last days, 2,300 days will pass by until the abomination of desolations. That means that's the end point of the 2,300 days. The beginning point is the rise of the Antichrist. So he'll be rising 2,300 days until the abomination of desolation. And then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Let it be the ceasing of the covenant. In case you didn't know, three and a half years before the abomination of desolation is only 1,260 days. So 2,300 days, subtracting 1,260 days, leaves quite a few days before the 70th week. And so the Antichrist will rise sometime before, and then it'll mark the beginning when he signs a covenant. All right? All right, the ceasing of the covenant. In the middle of the week, the Antichrist will cause the sacrifices and oblation to cease. Notice there's two things that he's going to stop. Sacrifice and oblation. Why would he not like to see this? (laughs) You know, 
Why would he not like to see these animals sacrificed to Jehovah? Well, because it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Every day he's watching these people sacrifice, and he knows they're following the Old Testament law, which is a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he's climbing the walls. I think he's losing his mind as he's watching this stuff. He can't last seven years. <laughs> Three and a half years in, he stops it. Oblation. What's oblation? That means gift or tribute. Uh, present. It's like thankfulness. <laughs> the meat offering. <laughs> the meat offering is a picture of the life of Christ and so forth. And all these pictures. And the Antichrist, because the devil's working him, knows exactly what's going on here. Can you imagine walking by and seeing these oblations every day? Can you imagine the jealousy and hatred and envy in his heart towards the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is the Antichrist. <laughs> he is against or instead of, and yet these sacrifices are all pointing to the one. <laughs> so I believe in his heart, he's saying, Ooh, I can hardly wait to stop this thing. And he does. And he does that by putting himself... We don't need any more sacrifices. No more oblations. You just come to worship me or die. No sacrifices to him. Letter C. The corruption of the temple. Number one, he will magnify himself as God and demand to be worshipped. And it says, And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Overspreading. This has a picture of it like a bird spreading out his wings, an extremity covering over everything. And so what he's doing is he's putting out his, his wickedness over the temple of God. The abominations that I gave you, what I have here, is how that word for abominations is translated throughout the King James Bible. 20 times abomination, five times detestable things, one time detestable, one time it's uh, translated abominable filth, Number, another time, it's abominable idols. So the overspreading of abominations, it's filthy. And God looks down at that, and he looks at it as filthy. In Matthew 24, verse 15, it says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Because you know that even in the tribulation time in Israel, there's still going to be devout Jews. And there will be Jews that actually do not follow the Antichrist. And in fact, during the middle of the week, after the two witnesses are actually witnessing for the first three and a half years, and then in the streets of Jerusalem, that, that beast that comes out of the bottomless pit... <laughs> kills them and then they resurrect on the third day <laughs> the Bible says that there's many in Jerusalem that gave glory to God and then we know for the last three and a half years there's 144,000 Jews that are going to go out through the whole earth preaching salvation but they only really get activated midpoint of the tribulation week and so when you look at the, the 144,000, you see them sealed. And I think at the beginning, the Lord keeps them safe throughout the first judgments that come upon the world. 
and then they get saved in the middle when they give glory to God because of what they see, and then they start witnessing. They start to serve. So there's really three different modes of the 144,000, and these are 12,000 from each tribe of, of Israel, <laughs> male virgin men that are going to go out and they're sealed. They're, they're sealed by God. He's going to keep them safe. And then they're going to be activated in the middle. And then they're going to go out through the whole earth. And then the, the Antichrist is going to go after them and arrest them. And he's going to kill many of them. And they will stand before the Lord beheaded. And the Bible also says that at the end, during the judgment of the nations, he says the, the criteria for Jesus Christ against the nations is, how that you how you have handled or how you've treated the least of these my brethren and then he would say when i was in prison you visited me when i was hungered you gave me food when i was naked you clothed me you know he was talking about the last three and a half years which nations were actually sympathetic towards those witnesses and helped them or those that turned them in the sheep and the goats. The criteria of the judgment of the nations is the, the final completion of the covenant to Abraham where it says, blessed are those that bless you and cursed are those that curse you. And it's all going to come to fruition when Jesus Christ comes again. All of those things in the covenants will come to pass. Amen? <laughs> Powerful stuff. <laughs> I mean, I could preach a long time on that. Um, let's see here. So what he's doing is he's telling these Jews, when you see this abomination of desolation in the temple, run to the hills. And that's exactly what they do. Read Revelation chapter 12. It talks about how there was a flood that came after the, the child of the virgin, child of the woman, right? And he tried to capture them, but they, the Lord hid them for three and a half years. And so these devout people are going to run away from the Antichrist and the Lord will protect them till the end. And then at the end of that seven-year period, he's going to come again and he's going to meet them right there where they were hiding. And they'll turn their eyes toward them. And the Bible says they'll mourn and look upon those, the one that they have pierced. And they'll put their whole heart to the Messiah. Amen? They'll be saved. Um... Number two, he'll be given a host of people to do his bidding, to cancel sacrifices and implement his wicked policies. And it's interesting because it talks about those that will take the number of the beast <clears throat> whose names were blotted out of the book of life from the foundation of the world. That means there are those that are already given over to Satan. A host will be given him that he'll be able to count on to do his wicked bidding during that tribulation time. And it says that in Daniel 8, 12, and an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Number three, the Antichrist will secure total power for the last half of the 70th week. And we'll see that in Revelation eleven two. It says, but the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months. And then Revelation 13, 5, 
And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. That's three and a half years. Letter D, the consummation of the week. Um, the desolation is determined. It says that desolation shall be poured out, shall be poured upon the desolate. So the word desolate has been, uh, the word that we get desolate from in the Greek is translated desolate 49 times, astonished 20 times, desolation seven times, waste five times, destroyed three times, wondered two times, amazed one time, astonishment one time. And the word consummation means completion, termination, full end, complete destruction, consumption, annihilation. So what it's saying here, that the Lord is going to pour upon that, that place until it is desolate, until the consummation, until it's totally finished, until it's all done. Amen? In fact, the Antichrist, when he sets him up in that temple, the Lord looks down and says, okay, guys, now it's time for the great tribulation. In fact, the great tribulation is only the last, last three and a half week, years. And that's when he pours out the bowl judgments. Amen. And great and terrible things are going to happen on the earth during those three and a half years because the Lord says, now my wrath is going to be poured out. So there's no escaping the Lord's decrees. No matter how good things seem to be, it will be consumed. <laughs> the consummation will come. The Lord will not allow this covenant to stand. He's going to shut it down. Isaiah 28, verse 15, it talks about this covenant in Isaiah. It says, Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the lime, and the righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death <clears throat> shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. That's interesting. <laughs> this covenant that the Antichrist made with Israel, God's calling it the covenant of death. You know, the fourth horse is death. That's the final stage of the rise of the Antichrist. <laughs> There's four stages. The final one was the pale horse. And that was the covenant with death. And the Lord says, I'm going to disannul it. I'm going to stop this. <laughs> this isn't my covenant. <laughs> you know. So they thought, <clears throat> oh, because we have this covenant, we're safe now. Oh, this, this Messiah is going to keep us safe. He says, guess what? The overflowing scourge will come and it's going to take you down. I'm going to disannul the covenant. Amen. So that's interesting. Way back in Isaiah. So the Lord, the Lord foretold of this agreement with hell. The Jews thought it would bring peace, but it was just another trick, as Satan has done many times in the past. Peace cannot be found in the world, but only in the true Messiah. This covenant of death is connected with the pale horse. And number two, 
The Lord responds to the abomination with great wrath. Revelation 16, 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, this is right after the abomination of desolations, he says, a great voice out of the temple saying to seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. 